Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two special guests, Gabriel and Andreas. Gabriel and Andreas, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe Gabriel going first? Sure. My name is Gabriel Smith. I'm the chief evangelist for PriceFX. I'm a, we're a pricing optimization and management platform. I've been in the pricing and CPQ industry for about 22 years. Okay. And Andreas? Hi, um, Tom and Gabe. Thanks for having me. My name is Andreas Sala. I'm of SAPSE, and I'm with the industry business unit Consumer Products. I'm with SAP for more than 20 years, and uh, I'm a specialist more or less on all the areas of manufacturing. Okay, superb. Now, we are recording this podcast in 2022, and it's a time when, for the first time in a long time, we're starting to see some inflation. It, for, for the longest time, there's been very little inflation over years and years and years. And just recently, we started to see a little bit of a, an uptick, not even just a little bit, we've started to see an uptick in inflation. Why? Well, Andreas, you're the, the economist, but maybe <laughs> I'll take my a first cut at it and you can expand on it. So my layman's sure. understanding, not being an economist, uh, but uh, from a pricing perspective, what we're seeing is that um, obviously there was, you know, a lot of quantitative easing going on. Um, so a lot of, you know, money being printed. So uh, additional money being in the system, um, you get that combined with some some pressure, um, you know, on the commodities markets, uh, rising labor rates. And they all kind of, you know, come together to increase both the, you know, the production price uh, index as well as the consumer pricing index. So. I think we're at like seven or eight percent uh, year over year now, which is the highest since the 1980s. And uh, so I think it's, you know, it's a number of factors. I mean, obviously, we also had a, a dip in the economy. And in order to bring us back from that, they kept interest rates extremely low for a very long period of time. And now that we've started to come out of it quite quickly, you're seeing that inflationary pressure as a result. Obviously, you know, the the Fed has noticed this. And yesterday they, they've increased um the interest rates by a quarter point and with the plan to increase them, I think they said seven times over the next year or so. So um, they're, they're starting to to wake up to the fact that they have to do something at this point. So that's that's what I've seen. Okay, Andres? I mean, you know, we see the, the inflation factor in, in, in all the different um, industry countries all around the globe. We see it in China, we see it in Europe, we see it in US. In US, very tough, uh, but as well in in countries like Japan, you know, where we had a long period of more than twenty years of deflation and and uh, no rising prices or anything like that. So, having said that, on it's not a US issue as uh, or uh, at all. It is a global issue on the one hand, and on the other side. 
uh, gave mentions some reasons for uh, inflation, but you know there is not a single one. So first thing, the Ukrainian war could be one of the factors, the uh, COVID nineteen crisis, and so on and so on. But there are more or less uh, 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 quite a chain of different factors leading to this really high inflation. And uh, having said this, it doesn't matter if it's a inflation, if it's a stagflation, if it's stringflation, the prices are rising. And so what are the effects, you know, for uh, the companies as well as for the end consumers? That's the main point. Yeah, and that's that brings me nicely, Andreas, on to my next question, which is exactly that. We both of you work in the CPG area and you got to think that's particularly sensitive to inflation because it's, you know, it's not B2B per se, it's B2C. And as a result, consumers are a lot more fickle, I want to think, and sensitive to increasing prices. How is that affecting? How are you seeing that play out in the market? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the, it depends on the category. You know, when we talk about luxury goods, you know, a Rolex Oyster, there won't be any price sensitivity by the end consumer because the price is part of the image you buy, you know, and that you can afford it. You know, uh, same for luxury, uh, other luxury goods or luxury cars or wh whatever, you know. But on the other side, you know, when we talk about daily base products, you know, food, beverage, home and personal care, cosmetics, you know, then we're talking also about not a very high price uh, uh, sensitivity, uh, a very high price sensitivity, the other way around, sorry. And with that, you know, uh, we then also talk about issues for a consumer products company when it, uh, when it comes to that. Gabe, do you want to add something yeah, from your absolutely. side? So, you know, as a pricing guy, I pay a lot of attention to consumer pricing and, and particularly around key value items and key value categories like milk is a, is a big one, for example. Uh, and so, you know, typically retailers and CPG companies, they seek to keep those pretty flat and they try to, you know, hide price increases in other places that aren't as, as sensitive. But even now you look at you know, some of these staple items and the, the key value items that, that uh, people buy and they, they are going up. Um, it's, it's obviously something that uh, is, you know, as, as we mentioned, you, you, you get as a CPG company, you, you get an increase in commodities pricing. You get an increase in uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, labor costs, um, as well as the distribution aspect. And you have really no choice but to respond to it at, in some way, right? So there's various ways that people uh, seek to do that. Sometimes it's through reducing the amount of promotional, um, you know, uh, activity that's going on or, or the spend there. Um, and other times it's to decrease the the sizes of, of these things, um, you know, it, so to kind of hide the, the price increase inside of a, a reduced quantity of whatever it is that they're selling. Um, and, and so, you know, there's, there's, and obviously, Andreas, you've talked before when we were talking about this, that there's hedging that goes on in these companies to guard themselves against some of the inflationary pressures, especially in the commodities markets. Um, so there's and and it does take time. But what what it creates is uh, an environment where, you know, people are actually becoming accustomed to raising prices. And so it does create a, an environment actually where if you do it right, you can actually Get, kind of buy into the the notion of inflation and get ahead of some of the the cost increases even and create some float and some companies are doing that and taking advantage of that a little bit too much which is drawing some regulatory ire and uh and uh you know focus particularly in areas like you know 
that, that are really hitting people like gasoline and proteins and some of these daily, you know, the daily um, or weekly kind of staples, right? So that's what I'm seeing. So hopefully that's helpful. Coming back to um, to what Gabe said, so maybe let's have a look um, just a minute on on things. What are the cost factors for consumer products companies? So, as Gabe said, first of all, the the ingredients, you know, uh, and as well energy, but as well financial costs, interests, and 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 so on, uh, workforce. We have then energy, energy for running any factory or for transporting stuff, you know, and as well the asset itself for the factory. And, um, and a new cost factor is also sustainability because if you want to become as a company sustainable, you know, uh, you can't get it without any costs, you know. This, this is also a new cost factor, and all these cost factors are also influencing, of course, the price strategy of a company. Um, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that, um, as Gabe said as well, you know, for a consumer products company, it is quite vital for the planning and all that stuff that you hedge the risks of some of these cost factors. Of course, some of them you can't. Hedge. But for example, when it comes to commodities, it is like that, that you have um, your CFO will uh, drive the procurement uh, department for a 70 up to 90, depending on the, uh, on, 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 on the time. So maybe today, 90% of the following year is already hedged in a sense that you have uh, already defined contracts or that you have derivates where you also hedge the risk of uh, the volatility of a market because inflation is just one thing. Of course, you know, when we talk about sugar, about cocoa, you have also weather impacts and, and what, what, you know, uh, and uh, not good qualities whatsoever. And with that, you know, it is on the one hand, you know, the, uh, the, the, there is no immediate effect for a consumer products company, but uh, there is also a latency, for example, for workforce on the one hand, but on the other hand, we, are, uh, we see that the companies are immediately raising the prices. So why is this so? And um, it's very easy, you know, when, when you have already hatched a risk, okay, you know that uh, in the near future, or let's say within the next 60 months, the price will rise anyway for your commodities, for your ingredients, for your energy and, and so on. And as well with the um, uh, longer latency also for workforce. So, but if you wait for another six months before you raise the prices, you know, nobody will believe you. You know, that's the first thing. It's a, it's a, always a question also of, of belief, you know. So now the the, the gasoline is uh, rising. The, the, the wheat, because of the Ukraine is one of the main wheat producers all around the globe, mm. you know, uh, is rising and so on and so on. And with that, you know, uh, now is also the time to start thinking on a consumer products company to, um, to work on the pricing. But with that, you know, Gabe, I would say we should have a little bit more talking now about the pricing process itself. Indeed, indeed. And I would just say before we get into the pricing process that, you know, this is not, I mean, we're in 2022. This is not an entirely new phenomenon, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. been happening for about a year now where, where we've seen this, you know, this uptick in, in, in CPI 
And it's, it's, you know, a lot of people, a lot of economists thought it was going to come down. And then, you know, this year, including myself, I thought it was going to continue, but at a lesser rate. But then when you throw in, you know, the, the Ukrainian uh, crisis and, and some of the other factors, obviously we haven't seen that. We've actually seen an increase. So, um, but, it, but at the same time, I think a lot of consumer packaged goods companies and manufacturers in general have been thinking about the impact of inflation and, and price increases. We, we've saw it actually where we saw it initially. We, we have, you know, consumer packaged goods companies. We have manufacturers. We have food and bev ingredient providers. We have retailers. So where we first saw it actually was in distribution. And because what, what you see is that they're kind of caught between this increase in PPI that was happening in front of the increase in CPI to some extent. And really they're, you know, having to respond very quickly to all these vendor price increases that they're getting and figure out how to intelligently pass it along. Same thing applies for, for retailers to some extent. So we saw it actually happening there first before this, the, the consumer packaged goods. On the ingredient side, so, uh, you know, companies that are selling ingredients into the consumer packaged goods, they, their contracts are usually tied up in, uh, into formula pricing off of an index with a, you know, a, a certain time period that they can um, increase pricing. And, and they have a formula where they're kind of guaranteed a certain overage or margin on top of, you know, or markup on top of that commodity cost. So, so their actually contracts are fairly well set to, to guard them against the, on the ingredient side. The CPG companies are doing hedging based on that, right? Um, but, but, you know, all of this is not just happening now, right? It's been happening for some time. And, and the CPG companies were kind of the last ones uh, that, that we saw to actually uh, react to it, right? So they're just starting to react, you know, um, you know in the last say, few months, six months, uh, whereas some of these other companies were, were on top of it from the beginning. And we saw a big drive in distribution and, and some of the ingredient providers, um, you know, ahead of some of the, the CBG. And I, I think part of that re- is related to the pricing process that you're talking about, you know, so because traditionally CPG companies haven't thought about uh, being very dynamic with the everyday price, they spend, you know, about 20% of their revenue on trade and they're really running these promotional events. And that's what is impacting the net price that the consumer pays. I mean, if you look today, if you go into a grocery store, you see some of the everyday prices, they're astronomically high but they're running these promotions that are encouraging people to, to buy more volume. Like I saw, you know, especially like in, in um, like beverages, I've, I've, I saw, you know, the, the pricing of a, of a 12 pack is up to like seven or $8, but then you can buy, if you buy three of them, you can get it for like 12 or $15 or something like this. So it's, it's really, they're going very aggressive with, with those promotions. Um, and they, so they've increased the pricing Hopefully, I think that they don't have to keep increasing that everyday price. They just bumped it up a lot, and then they're running aggressive promotions against it to encourage, uh, you know, that that behavior. But I think at the same time, in certain categories, you see that they are increasing pricing, and they're starting to think about pricing as not a once a year or once a quarter event, but as more holistically along with promotions and trying out things um, in a more collaborative environment with the retailers. And um, software is actually enabling more collaboration and more dynamic pricing, more visibility to the impact of price moves as well as promotion moves in that collaborative process between the CPG companies and the retailers, uh, as well as distributors that are selling through into retailers or in some cases to, you know, to other businesses. So that's what we're seeing. Um, I'd I'd be interested to get your take on it though, Andreas. I mean, Gabe, uh, you know, what I would like to add is I I said before that um, there is a latency because of um, uh, risk hedging and so on. But, you know, 
uh, it is quite clear for the consumer products company that the prices for energy, for in, uh, for ingredients and all other cost factors will go up, you know. And the question is, and that's also the point, you know, if, uh, if consumer products companies use now the 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 time of uh, raising prices to also have better margins you know that's always something in discussion you know where the, you can see that some main parts for example diapers or uh, cereals or whatever you know they the the prices are rising and there's always you know the the companies are always on the suspicion that there is also an intention or not only you know offset all the, the 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 new costs and the inflation and all that stuff, but that is also a good time you know to make money. The first thing is, I don't think so that it is quite uh, important uh, about uh, the if we talk for example about January this year or February this year. It is more a long term effect. So for example, you could try to raise prices now. And then you will see that they will go on down stepwise, 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 you know, and then you, another price uh, uh, rise. Why is this? Because normally you're not alone. You have competition, you know. The competition are on uh, other brand manufacturer, but also the private label of the retailer. And as well, you know, you're not alone in a sense that you don't decide on your own what is the price for the end consumer, but you have always to negotiate with the retailer. You know, and with that, you know, you you have then also you're you're not a monopolist. You know, there's always competition. There is always a market. There are also other products. So, for example, uh, I mean, you know, if you you are Ferrero and you have this this hazelnut cream, you know, that could be also some other spread. You know, and with that, you know, the, the, this is something where the the um, the, the the border lines are very limited for for a, a consumer products company for the pricing, you know, because they are all limiting factors. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, at the end of the day, a consumer can only afford to spend, at least a lot of consumers can only afford to spend a certain amount on that basket, that market basket, right? Absolutely. So, you know, you have, you've got to consider both, you know, cannibalization within your own product lines, but within that category as well. And what this, you know, how apt the consumers are to switch from one to another. And it really varies a lot by category and by consumer, really, at the end of the day. So the more customer centric you can get, the more information on that end customer you can get about their purchasing behavior. the And the more customer centric you can get with the promotions that you're actually running and the prices that you're offering, the net pricing. Um, that's where, uh, you know, the, the kind of best in breed CPG companies are going because they realize that. You know, for, for me, for example, when I go to buy beer, I just look for whatever is a good deal within a certain type of beer that I'm looking for. So if I'm looking for IPAs, I'm not attached to Sierra Nevada or whatever, you know, whatever brand I'm looking for, you know, a hazy IPA and I'm looking kind of like, what's, what's a good deal here. And so there's switch, you know, I I'm apt to switch. I'm not attached to one brand, but there's other things that I am very attached to, you know, to the brand on and I'm much less likely to switch. And you could see that type of information if a, if a retailer has a loyalty card on me, like Safeway does, you know, you can, they can see that purchase behavior and they can understand that and they can offer certain promotions that take that into account. And so that's where you can use, you know, data and insights from the consumer 
and particularly when the retailers are starting to work more closely with CPG companies to do some of, you know, both, um, you know, kind of analysis like that and running more precise levels of promotions, but also um, doing experimentation to see what's working and what's not in different groups of consumers and for different, and, you know, the, the, the kind of nirvana there is to get that kind of, you know, segment of one, as we call it, right? So I, I know that Andreas's purchase behavior is different than Tom's, is different than Gabe's, and I'm going to offer different promotions to each of those based on what I know about them, right? And that's really where the industry, I think, is going. Uh, it's not really there yet for the most part, but, um, you know, over time, we're, we're going to get there with more, you know, the digital transformation that's occurring with more software and data that's that's allowing kind of the AI processing of these kind of experimentation driven things, as well as, you know, the, the you know, just typical kind of regression and, and collaborative planning process and regression analysis that happens on elasticity and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I'm probably going a little bit beyond <laughs> where that question was uh, was asked, Tom. So apologies there. But uh Feel free to reel me back in. Yeah. Sure. No, I mean, what you're saying is fascinating because it, it it talks to the usage of data and profiling of customers such that organizations have, for all intents and purposes, a digital twin of your preferences. And then they can use that to, to your point, uh, Give you give you personalized offers based on your profile in their system. Is that is that essentially what, what's happening? I mean, that's what's starting to happen. Mm. I would say, and that's that's the that's the the nirvana kind of end state of where consu- both CPG companies as well as retailers would like to be, is to really have that kind of very customer centric approach. And and I would say that you know we are big fans of you know customer centricity in everything that we do personally you know at Price Effects not personally but professionally as an organization um, in the way that we interact with our clients but also part of what we enable customers our customers to do is to use the data that they have about their customers in a more intelligent manner for both pricing as well as promotions right so so that's where you know um, you know leading edge companies are are getting there. Um, but uh, most companies are not anywhere close to that right now, because when you look at traditionally what's been done in CPG, you know, selling through retail, as an example, you've got, you know, the companies are getting all the syndicated data. So they're buying Nielsen and IRI data. They're getting some scan data from, from the retailers, but it's actually fairly difficult for them to connect the trade spend that they're allocating for a given, you know, trade partner to the actual promotions or the net pricing that's running and seeing what the impact of those things are at like the, the actual like receipt line item level. Right. So that's, that's starting to get there and, and it's getting there in some cases, but, but a lot of, uh, a lot of CPG companies struggle with that. So they, they allocate, you know, as I've mentioned, I think on average it's about 20% of their revenue towards trade, which is, you know, billions and billions of dollars that they're spending. And they really struggle with understanding what's effective out of that, what promotions should I be running? What should I not be running? And particularly, you know, getting down to that level of granularity at the consumer level is something that very few companies actually are able to do. Um, but it's starting to emerge as, you know, as the technology is getting there, as this more collaborative planning process that's enabled by software and then AI driven to, to be able to, you know, make more precise recommendations. Um, because it's, you know, it's a matter of scale, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm a CPG company, and I'm selling, you know, $20 billion that, that equates to, you know, 
hundreds of millions of, of, you know, line items that are being purchased at any given time period, there's no way that I can, as a human, go through that information and try to understand it and, and make recommendations, right? You really need the power of machine learning and artificial intelligence to, to make better, um, you know, recommendations. And, and that really requires a closed loop process where you're getting as granular of data and ideally, you know, customer centric information back on purchase behavior. So when I'm running that promotion for three for 12, I understand what's, you know, how much it's costing me, but I also understand what the impact of that is from the, from a volume and revenue perspective. So I can understand, is that a good promotion or not? Right. And that's, that's really where traditionally folks have struggled, but I think it's starting to, you know, we're, we're starting to get to the environment where some companies are able to close that loop and, and be a lot more precise and, and, um, and spend that money more wisely. I mean, Gabe, uh, I, I, I don't say that you're wrong, but I would, would uh, add just one, one, and that's a very significant factor for, for me uh, in, in this discussion. And that is that you mentioned the segment of one. Uh, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to uh, 360 customer segmentation and all that stuff, then you're absolutely right. But when it comes to other areas of a, a consumer products uh, company, when it comes to uh, mass production and all that stuff, we're always talking about profitable growth. And that's where the segment of one approach is also uh, quite tricky because of the fact that, you, of course, you can try to change as a consumer products manufacturer from mass production to mass confectionery. But on the other side, you know, the, 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 the question is, you know, you still must be profitable. So, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, uh, so, uh, when we talk about the segment of one and all the data and all the syndicated data and all the other stuff, and by the way, SAP has a lot of nice, uh, solutions also for the 360 view in this area. Uh, but, you know, the thing is that uh, when it comes to the product itself, you know, we still talk about categories, we talk about product uh, brands, we talk about uh, packaging and all the other stuff. And then we talk always uh, uh, in this area, uh, area, we're talking today, food, beverage and cosmetics. We mainly talk about mass production. And with that, yeah, you know, sure. the, the, on the one hand, you know, it, uh, and that has nothing to do with pricing. It is the, the, the question then, how can I, on the one hand, create a personalized experience in the consumer journey? And on the other side, you know, produce on a lower, uh, on low cost. And that's, that's also something which is one of the main uh, uh, yeah, uh, goals for a consumer products company. But coming back to the pricing. So, um, you know, when we, we, we see three main trends in consumer products. The first trend is what we already said is the consumer centricity. And I mean, that's something which is nothing new. I mean, if you are a, a brand manufacturer, you know, consumer centricity is key. You know, but on the other side, what we see as well, and th this has to do on the one hand with things like uh, COVID-19 with wars, but also other other stuff is that you have to have a, um, a, a resilient supply chain, for example. And how can you reach a, a, a thing like that? Your organization from end to end all uh, steps of the of the value chain must be become more flexible, more agile, more responsive to trends. 
not only market trends to the end consumer. So, for example, you can use the, the syndicated data or the data from POS, from the retailer, to find out more about the decision of the consumer, what's uh, on vogue and, and all that stuff. But on the other side, for example, when we're talking about inflation, you know, we talk also about prices, about the commodities and all the stuff, the cost drivers. And with that, you know, you must be much more uh, agile, flexible. That's one thing. And that's where, uh, that is one of the benefits of digital transformation. Uh, uh, itself. And then the second thing is as well, it is not only agility and flexibility, it's also speed. You must, you know, uh, decide on a better information basis. On the one hand, maybe you have the possibility also to simulate and do some, some what-if analysis. And then the last thing is they have to make the decision fast to m respond to the trend on the market or uh, on the other side, and, uh, and, and for example, in commodities, as soon as possible. So that's yeah. what the trends, what we are seeing. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and so, and you said, you know, that it, well, you kind of mentioned at some point along the lines that, you know, that wasn't necessarily related to price. But I mean, when, when we look at the market and what we help customers do, um, you know, driving profitable growth, uh, increasing agility in, in terms of responsiveness, to market changing market conditions, whether it's cost, supply chain, comp competition, macroeconomic trends, that's a big part of what we do. And, and it, you know, by, by doing that, that's really, if you're not able to do that, then you're kind of at the, um, at the mercy of the, of the market to a large extent, and you're going to experience margin compression. So what, what we allow customers to do is to say, okay, when our customers, I mean, when, when they, see a change that's happening in the market. One, we, we allow them to structure contracts in a way that, you know, they're, they're somewhat immune to those changes in the market because they have, you know, a contract where it's a formula and we're, we're pulling in index information. We're, we're recalculating that. And so as the market changes, they're going to be making that same overage, you know, that's, or that same margin percentage or the same markup on top of it. And they're going to be making, by the way, more profit dollars as a result Right. So they're actually doing better on a on a profit dollar perspective uh, as prices increase for for manufacturers. Uh, that's that's the case for for distributors and, and retailers. It's really about how do I respond with more agility to those cost increases or even buy into them so I can create float. Right. So so that's what you're seeing in, in these trade partners is that they're actually able to, to say, first of all, a lot of a lot of trade partners for manufacturers struggle with. The, the speed and agility of executing a, a price increase on their side once they get it from the vendor. We've, we've worked with a couple and done some analysis and like one was a $3 billion distributor that we looked at and said, Hey, if you, if you can, it took them over 20 days to respond to a vendor price increase. So just by decreasing that amount of time down to one day, that would save them $4 million per year. Um, and the ability to to not experience that margin compression over that period of time, but also buy into that. And actually, they, they can even be proactive. So if you're and that's the thing, right, if you realize how this stuff actually works and how how this gets passed throughout the entire supply chain, you could actually sense that your your manufacturer is going to increase their pricing based on what's happening in the commodities market or based on what's happening. And you could actually say proactively increase your pricing and actually create profit off of that event. Right. And that's what, you know, the kind of more forward thinking trade partners are, are doing with manufacturers. But, but again, you have to have that agility, that kind of more, you know, that analytical capability uh, and ideally be, you know, 
alerted of certain trends that that would you know point you towards that that action right uh, and then sh- and as you mentioned then simulate the impact of it understand what it's going to look like both on the you know on the cost side as well as the 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 sell side to understand what's what's the impact going to be on my volume on my revenue etc and then if you can do all of that intelligently and kind of proactively that's that's again what what the best in breed you know manufacturing trade partners are able to do and as i mentioned the manufacturers the best in breed is to structure the contracts in a way that accounts for the volatility in in their costs so that you know they can basically pass them through in an automated way and so you know you put all that together i and i want to come back to the 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 the, um notion of the segment of one because i i agree with you that segment of one is is the nirvana end state where cpg companies want to get to and retailers want to get to but most of them are so far away from that um and and when it comes down to their actual operational capacity you're right you you have to be broader than that and a lot of these companies can do get so much better just in the way that they segment at, at a much higher level. Right. So like how, you know, what types of store groups am I selling into or, and how does that reflect it in my distribution, um, you know, network and, and how am I changing pricing more intelligently? So I don't just have a national price. Uh, but I have, you know, when I'm selling to, uh, you know, health food stores in the Northeast, my price is different than when I'm selling to, you know, uh, club stores in the Southeast. Right. Uh, for for maybe the same thing. And so that's that's really, but you know, what uh, there's a lot of opportunity just in that, right? Without getting to that Nirvana end state of the set, you know, the segment of one that that I talked about. And you can do a lot there just with the information that that's available to to CBG companies now, right? And and especially if they think about pricing and promotions more holistically, and they're able to flex both of those things in response to changing market conditions. So to be more agile and quick with how they respond to things, but also more precise about how they target price increases or price changes throughout their, their, you know, trade partner network. I mean, you know, let me add just, you know, we're talking when it comes to trade promotions and with, uh, and pricing, we'll talk about um, big money, big budgets. We talk about, uh, also mass production. So even small changes will have a really big impact, you know, when it comes on to costs and also to margin. So having said this, you know, the better insights you have, the better database you have, you know, the more likely it is that your margin will be higher and that you are able to respond to the trends in the market um, in an adequate way, you know, that's, that's, that's also a, a point here, you know, because, uh, even small changes will have a really big impact, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about the, the power of 1%, right. In pricing. And so there was this McKinsey study and book written and it was a hard Harvard business review kind of joint study. And then they wrote this book called the price advantage. And they basically talk about what is the impact for, for Fortune 500 companies of a 1% uh, improvement in price. And how does that compare to a 1% improvement in volume or decrease in variable or fixed manufacturing costs? And what came out of that is that I, I think the current numbers are about a, a 1% improvement in price is about an 8.7% increase in, in profit versus a much lower, um, you know, the variable cost reduction is the, the second most uh, powerful 
the fixed cost reduction is the third and the volume increase is actually the, the lowest. So, you know, a lot of CPG companies, a lot of promotion spend is about increasing volume, but, but they're in there because that's what they're able to track easily. When I run this promotion, how much has my volume increased over baseline? But you have to look at it, obviously, as an investment and what's the ROI against that investment. And when you look at, you know, getting that extra volume, how much it oftentimes costs you is it's not even worth it. Right. And that's what I mean. CPG companies know this, but they are it's very difficult to take all of that that data and that complex environment that they operate within and actually boil it down to is that promotion worth it or not? Like that's a, you know, a simple question that almost every CPG company struggles with. Right. But they, but one thing that, that they probably are starting to realize is that, you know, if I just increase my price by, by 1%, then I can, you know, really drive uh, a lot more bottom line impact to my organization. And then we are coming to the, again, to the goal of profitable growth. That's it. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, that's a big, I'd say the three things that we help our customers do is respond with more agility to changing market conditions to avoid margin compression, uh, drive profitable growth by offering, you know, insights and and pricing guidance in different channels and and, and in both pricing and and promotions, and then doing so uh, while reducing risk. Uh, and reducing kind of the overhead that's required to execute on these processes. And the combination of those three is where our customers are getting the most value out of our solution. Cool, cool. Folks, we're coming, well, we've gone way over (laughs) our time on this, but it's been a really interesting conversation. Um, If people want to know more about yourself, Andreas, or yourself, Gabe, or about PriceFX, or any of the things that we talked about on the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? Gabe, you, you, you kick off. Yeah, so uh, I would, so uh, happy to engage with anyone that's listening, um, either through Twitter, uh, SW Evangelist, or through LinkedIn. Uh, Gabe Smith is my my handle on LinkedIn. Uh, also, uh, you can email me, uh, gabe.smith at priceeffects.com, or check out our website, priceeffects.com. We have a whole learning center that has a variety of white papers and blog posts and, and uh, our own podcasts, in fact. Uh, that talks a lot about these different issues. So that's that's the best where, place to uh, learn more about this in us. Thank you. Cool, Andres. I, I mean, I have two uh, links we will provide after this session, uh, also in the uh, in the information uh, section of uh, of this session. And one link is um, on an article in Harvard Business Review on trends in consumer products, where you can check or have more information about the trends we see as um, SAP in the consumer products industry. And the second one is a Fortune article on inflation, especially in the US, uh, most recent uh, in inflation. So they what they have checked, for example, is for certain pri- uh, categories, the price prices, how they're rising and, and so on, and compared it with the margin of the uh, consumer products company and so on. And a very interesting read. Superb, superb. We'll have links to those in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Great. Gentlemen, that's been really interesting. Thanks a bunch for coming on the show today. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me, Tom. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster, and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.